When my wife Shannon was in college, her freshman year, occasionally uh, she would stay up very, very late to finish an assignment. Most of you that probably, when you were in college, those of you guys who went to college, you never did that because you always did things far in advance. Um, but I, in, in this regard, was like my wife. I would you know, stay up late. So the next day she might decide, well, I'm going to just take a little nap in her dorm room. And so Shannon would be trying to recover from working really hard the night before. And her roommate, Gail, Gail was a Christian, and Gail would sneak in to Shannon, sneak up, and start to whisper into Shannon's ear. She would go, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief and want like an armed man. Whoa! Sorry to wake you up. Um, uh, we're familiar with that. Thank you for reading that for us, Carl. Um, yes, <laughs> Proverbs 24 can be shocking, and we're gonna, that's the, gonna be what we're going to be talking about today. So this is actually my third and final sermon from the book of Proverbs. Uh, back in September, I spoke about how to gain wisdom and not be a fool. Then the following week, last week, I spoke on the sound of silence, how God speaks to us in silence and as we are called to listen to him. Today, we're going to talk about poverty and laziness from Proverbs 24. Now, I want to make a couple observations. Oh, can you read that? Well, yeah, you, hopefully you can read. Uh, it's kind of dark in a couple places. But the passage from Proverbs 24 really kind of has three parts. There's the observation in verses 30 and 31. The sage, um, uh, Proverbs was primarily written by Solomon. We know there are parts of Solomon, that, parts of Proverbs that weren't written by Solomon. Um, so I'm just going to call the, the author the sage, the, the wise person behind it. So the sage makes an observation in the first couple verses. The interpretation in verse 32. He interprets what's going on. And then finally, the application in the last two verses. The sage applies. This is actually an excellent model as we study Scripture. Um, some people like to jump to application, although a lot of us feel application makes us a little uncomfortable. Um, many of us like to talk about interpretation because that's the interesting bit. But before we interpret or apply, we need to observe and pay close attention to the text. Here, the, the, the author, the sage, is paying attention to his world on his walk. He goes on a walk. So the sage, we'll start, I'm going to structure my, my sermon this morning along the lines of observa an observation, an interpretation, and then an application as the text is followed. So we're going to start with the observation. The sage tells us, about the sluggard. The sluggard in verse 30. He, the sage is, is out for a walk and he notices the sluggard's field. Now, he calls this owner a sluggard. Now, that's kind of a, an insulting thing. A man who lacks sense. Um, instead of sluggard, the King James Version of the Bible has a sloth or a slothful person. They call the owner a slothful person. 
Now, we used to think sloths, there's a picture of a sloth, we used to think sloths would sleep for 15 to 18 hours a day. Okay, some of us may identify with sloths. 15 to 18 hours a day. Well, scientists have now realized that sloths sleep for maybe le- sometimes less than 10 hours a day. So pretty soon we'll be saying, he's as busy as a sloth. Okay, well, I thought that was funny. As busy as a sloth. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So the sage doesn't know anything about the owner of this vineyard. But just what he observes from the man's field, and from the basis of seeing the sloth's field, he says, this guy's a sluggard. Now, as Shan and I, we have a dog. Uh, we actually, our, our previous dog passed away, and we've got a, a puppy now, a five-month-old puppy. We've got to get her out. In fact, in the mor- this morning in the rain, we took her, took her on a walk. Because that was important. And as we walk around the neighbors, um, the neighborhood, we noticed other people's properties. It's hard not to notice. We see people's very nicely manicured lawns, and we feel bad about our own lawn. And then sometimes we look at people's yards that are actually look worse than ours, and we feel kind of superior. It doesn't happen very often, but it does occasionally. Uh, when we, when we, we see the really nice lawns, we like to tell our dog that that's the place where she should do her business. <laughs> no, we don't do that. But it's, you, you notice when you're out laziness. Laziness is actually visible to other people. It's public knowledge. Just as the sage saw the field of the sluggard. People will see the results of our work, of our yard, of our field, of our garden, of our desk, maybe at work, of our garage, of our kitchen, the places that we work, when people come around, people will see. Oh, yeah. They learn a lot from, about us. On Friday afternoon, I did not feel like working on this sermon. I just wanted to take a nap. I was tired. I had been, I had preached I spoken twice on Thursday. I got up early and I got home at about 10.30 at night. I was exhausted on Friday. I just wanted to take a nap. I wanted to be a sluggard. But you know what? I remembered my, very, my second sermon back in 1986. My first sermon went really well. My second sermon did not. I don't even remember the topic, but I was so badly unprepared that I showed up late to the meeting because I was still prepping. I was still working on the sermon, and it was, a, it was a very, it was a horrible sermon. And I was embarrassed. Now, that has motivated me for the rest of my life. Uh, I, I, some, I, I still give some bad sermons, but I, I, at least I'm working harder at it because of this one experience. I don't know why I was lazy, but I think... A lot of, there's a lot of reasons for pe- why people are lazy. But people saw, like the sage saw the results of this guy's field, people saw the results of my laziness. People will see the results of our laziness. So that's something for us to be aware of. Now verse 31 begins with behold here. The Hebrew word for behold is hine. Say that, repeat. I will say it and I want you to say it after me. Hine. 
Very good. Behold, you, you got some Hebrew there. Okay. Now, the problem with behold, the word hine is it's an intention grabber. It's supposed to get our attention. The problem with the word behold is behold isn't used much anymore. When was the last time you said something like, behold, I just unloaded yawn dishwasher? That we don't use. When's the last time you said behold? Okay, behold worked great in the 18th century. But unless people are polishing furniture, we don't use behold anymore. I mean, right? Some of you guys don't even know what this is. But um, most of the men don't know what this is. But the women know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so behold doesn't make sense. The King James has low, which I like low, but when's the last time you said low? Low. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. The, the NIV leaves the um, hine, hine untranslated which I don't feel very comfortable with either. Now, the NRSV has C. Well, that's not bad. Because you could say, hey, C, check this out. But what words do you use to get people's attention? I'd say, check it out. Or, hey. Or if you're from South Philly, yo. Yo, right? What words, whatever words you use to get people, like if you're a parent, to get the attention of your children. What words do you use? Well, that's what the psalmist, is, the, the, the sage is trying to do here. He's like, hey, yo, check it out. The vineyard's got thorns. The ground has nettles. The wall's broken down. Okay? The thorns are going to um, choke the vine. The wall's going to allow animals to come in. Do you guys have animals in your gardens? We have rabbits, Right? Uh, the sluggard's vineyard is in bad shape. Yo, check it out. This is not good. Well, my wife works hard on our garden, and this last summer we last summer we had um, we're still eating. I, I had I had kale recently, but um, lettuce, arugula, blueberries, kale, spinach, tomatoes. This garden does not just happen. My wife built a raised bed. In fact, she's built even more beyond this picture. She constructed a net out of PVC piping to keep out the rodents. She would put CDs on strings, shiny CDs, to scare away the, the deer. I don't ex exactly know how that works, but that's what, apparently that's what works. She weeds the garden daily, and when it's dry, she waters it. She is my Proverbs 31 woman. Someone should write a book about Proverbs 31, right? <laughs> okay, Tim. Um, so when Shannon travels, though, she leaves the care of the garden with her husband. Uh-oh. Uh you know, so it's dry. Well, it doesn't always get rained. The do the tomatoes get picked while, her, her, while she's gone? Not really. So you could look at the garden and you go, hey, she's got a husband who's a sluggard, a man lacking sense. My laziness was visible to the people around. Okay, so that's the observation. Let's get to the interpretation the sage has never met this man, but he knows a lot about him just by looking. He looks, he notices, and he considers it, and he receives instruction. Do you learn from others? Do you learn from the mistakes of others? This is called vicarious learning. It's actually a great way to learn. A lot of us learn from our own mistakes, but it's a lot less costly if we can learn from the mistakes of the people around us. 
A few years ago, Hall of Fame baseball player Tony Gwynn died of cancer in his mouth from using smokeless tobacco for the decades that he played baseball, um, largely for the um, San Diego Padres. When Steve Strasser, who pitches for the Washington Nationals, heard about Tony Gwynn's death, he, uh, Steve Strasburg uh, um, was only 25. He decided, I'm going to quit smokeless tobacco. He was a baseball player. He said, I'm going to do it for my daughter. And so he's quit doing smokeless t- tobacco. Vicarious learning. What's, what's um, Steve Strasburg doing right now? He's pitching for the Washington Nationals in the World Series. He won game two, and he's, he's up to pitch on Tuesday for game six, I think is the schedule. Vicarious learning. Steve Strasburg saw Tony Gwynn. He considered it. He looked and he received instruction. Steve Strasburg is a wise guy. Do you learn from the mistakes of the people around you? Wise people do. Finally, so the observation, the interpretation, and then the application. In verse 32, the, this, this, the sage receives instruction. He hasn't told us the lesson yet. The lesson is at the end. It's kind of dramatic. But notice verse 33, it's a little strange. It's, it's not really a sentence. There's no verb. The cadence of the, verb, of the verse almost lulls you to sleep. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. To, it's just like... It almost puts you to sleep. Of course, I have to be careful, though, because I don't. you guys stay awake here. Say that as you're going to bed tonight. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty! Bam! It gets your attention. Okay? I got to do that to keep you awake. Some of you guys thought that was funny. Hopefully your, your spouse or, you, you know, whatever, uh, your, your brother or sister won't be as mean as, the, psalm, as the, 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 the sage here or as Shannon's roommate was. Poverty. Gets your attention. So verse 34 is the application here. What results from too much sleep, too much slumber, and too much hand-folding? Poverty. Want. Destitution. The sage wants to teach us two things here about poverty. Poverty comes like a robber. You don't expect a thief Thieves don't call ahead. You don't answer the phone and a voice says to you, yeah, in three days I'm going to be doing some work in your neighborhood. I was thinking about stopping by your house. Would that be a convenient time for me to come by and steal things? <laughs> that doesn't happen. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, no, actually, we're going to leave all our doors locked. No one plans to get robbed. No one plans to become poor. But it can happen unexpectedly. A few years ago, the musician Sting announced he is not giving any of his trust funds to his kids. Wow, that's got to hurt. I mean, if you're one of his kids, right, that's got to hurt. Or maybe we should say, that's got to sting. Yeah, sorry. Heirs that don't learn to work hard quickly become poor. 
Sting has learned that from other rich folks, it's not good for kids to inherit wealth. Why? Because it can make them lazy. Poverty comes quickly. So that's the first thing the sage wants us to learn about poverty. Second thing is poverty is caused by laziness. Now, biblically, laziness, uh, 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 poverty has two causes. Laziness, as we see here, and also injustice, as we see in many other places in Scripture, including Proverbs. And injustice can be caused by a variety of things. War, oppression, corruption, wealthy people not sharing their wealth. Now, some Christians just emphasize laziness as the cause of poverty. Other Christians emphasize injustice as a cause of poverty. The Bible emphasizes both, just to be clear. But it's interesting, more Christians tend to blame poverty on laziness. Although I think Scripture, more Scripture blames poverty on injustice and oppression. It's just something to think about. So to be clear here, the Bible talks a lot about helping the poor. It talks more about helping than the poor than to make sure, make sure we've got to make sure the poor people aren't being lazy. It does say that, but it talks more about us helping them. But that's a different sermon. Today we're talking about laziness. And laziness can take a lot of bizarre forms. Okay, I, I, I have one of these posters. Something like, wow, that's like serious laziness. Okay. Some of you think that's funny. Okay. And if you don't get it, um, then that's probably part of the problem. <laughs> Isn't that where it goes? Yes, right. Laziness can take many forms. What's the, the evidence of laziness here? Well, the thorns aren't being weeded. The nettles aren't being cleared. The wall's broken down. Why? The sluggard, the sloth, was lazy. How does laziness lead to poverty? Well, if you're a vine dresser and you don't care the vineyard, don't care for the vineyard, you're not going to have any grapes to sell. If you're a roofer and you oversleep so that you don't patch a hole in the roof when it rains, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose future jobs. People are going to get like on a day like today, houses are going to get ruined. If you're a teacher or a preacher and you don't prepare well, or maybe you don't show up to teach. There was a period of time about 10 years ago when I was supposed to teach for a class my wife was teaching at, 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 at the seminary. Okay, She was teaching a class. She was gone. I said, well, I'll, I'll teach for you that night. You know what happened? I forgot to show up. Ooh, yeah, that's bad. Oh, but made it, what made it worse? My boss's father was in the class. <laughs> oh, that was bad. Yeah, until this day, Todd still teases me about this. Oh, yeah, well, let's hope you show up to class that time, <laughs> 10 years later. That was bad, okay? Now, typically, one mistake does not lead to poverty. You learn from the mistake. It's a, it's a pattern of mistakes. Too much sleep. A little sleep. A little slumber. Now, now some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible teach rest, that rest is good? Yeah, what's up with that? 
God commands us to rest. God, according to Psalm 127, the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. And I love this. Jesus napped, you should nap. Okay, that's your assignment for this afternoon. Take a nap. So what's wrong with a little sleep? What's wrong with a little sleep? The Bible does teach that sleep is good. But it also teaches laziness is bad. So I think we could kind of paraphrase Ecclesiastes 3 here. There's a time to work and a time to rest. A time to wake up and a time to lie down. A time to do and a time to be. It takes wisdom to find the balance. God gives us cycles of work and rest to help us find the right balance between exertion and relaxation. In a week, we work for six days and we rest for one. That's, the, that's God's design from creation. Work for six days, rest for one. He commands us to take a Sabbath. In a day, we need to be awake for about 16 hours and asleep for about eight, plus or minus an hour, depending on kind of who you are. If you're getting much more than that or much less than that, that's a problem. If you have to use an alarm every day, you're probably getting too little sleep. God gave us the sun as an alarm clock, and God gave us night as an eye mask. That's God's gift to us. So in a day, there's a pattern. In a year, we need about 48, maybe, maybe 50 hours of, of weeks of work a year. We work for 40, 50, maybe weeks of the year and have a couple of weeks of vacation. So I'm going with the dog theme here. God gave his people annual festivals of celebration, Passover, Unleavened Bread, Booths, Day of Atonement, also called Yom Kippur. If you add up the, 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 the calendar festivals in Israel's calendar, it, you get somewhere between two and four weeks. That was God's design. God provided his people with the right balance of rest and work for a day, for a week, and for a year. Now, during periods of illness or as we get older, we may need more rest, and that's, that's totally fine. Some people ignore God's guidance and they think more rest is good, but it's not. The adjustment for many people, the adjustment to retirement can be quite difficult. Some of you guys may remember a few years ago, um, Penn State's football coach, Joe Paterno, he was forced to retire, and then within, a few, within like a few weeks, he passed away. There was, there was a problem with that. Psychologically, physically, emotionally, it's healthy to work. The man, Adam and Eve, were, were given a task to work in the garden before the fall. It's good. Now, some people ignore God's guidance, um, guidelines, and they think that a lot of work, too much work, can be good. But it's not. People get sick, stress, heart attacks, sleeplessness, strokes. 
come from too much, too much work and not enough rest. Physically, psychologically, and emotionally, it's good for us to rest. But let's remember in all this, as we think about work and rest, remember there are some things that we can control and other things we cannot control. You can't control whether or not you are given a job offer. But you can control whether or not you apply for the job. So that's just something for those of us that were in these kinds of situations need to be aware of. What wisdom does the sage offer the sluggard? Well, in, in chapter 6 of Proverbs, the sage repeats kind of the message we see in, 20, in chapter 24. It talks about a little sleep, a little slumber, and then poverty come, coming upon us. But just a few verses later, the sage says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, he says, learn from the ant. Learn from the ant. Why the ant? Because the ant can teach powerful lessons to anybody that's willing to listen to them. The ant plans ahead. The ant works hard. The ant prepares its food in the summertime. The ant gathers its food harvest. Learn from the ant, O sluggards, O sloths, and become wise. But sometimes sloths tend to look down on ants. Sluggards can be a little bit like Baloo, in the movie The Jungle Book, I don't know if you've seen this, um, Blue, he's the bear, he's talking to Mowgli, the boy. And they see an, he sees an ant, I mean, he's a bee buzzing over there, and he goes, you see that ant? You're working too hard, the, the, Blue says to the, the, to the bee. And then Blue, he eats ants. <laughs> and, 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 and Mowgli says, you eat ants? He says, you better believe it. You try a few. He eats ants. He takes pride in being a sloth. The sage would say, that's foolish. That's foolish. The sage says to the sluggard, learn from the ant. The ant works hard. They might not always be the most gifted, but they're the hardest worker. Now, if you're not an ant, if you're not an ant type person, look around. There's probably an ant near maybe one of your spouses. Maybe it's a family member. Learn from them. Now, similarly though, ants can look down on sluggards. Some parent, some ant parents can think their children are sloths or sluggards. If you're an ant out there, be careful how you treat your sluggard children. Now, some of this is a generational thing, right? My parents thought I was a sloth. I, I don't think, in their later years, they, they didn't think that was true anymore. But it's, it's generational. Sluggards, sloths, um, hopefully can learn from their mistakes. But we need to allow sluggards, sloths, to learn. We can't prevent them making mistakes, but maybe we can help them in the midst of it. What the sage does is he tells a story about a sluggard. And for any of you ant parents out there, tell stories to your sluggard children. Perhaps even stories about times where you were a sluggard and God taught you a lesson, what you learned, what mistakes you made, and what the costs were. Let the sloths, the sluggard children around you learn vicariously from your mistakes. 
Now, some of you guys may be unemployed. Or if you're not now, many of us will be unemployed, maybe for periods of time in our life. If, if that's your situation now, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. That's hard. But there are things you can do even in the midst of times of unemployment or underemployment. You can, a lot of things you can do. Work on a garden. Fix things around your house. Spend time with your family. Take care of the kids. Let your spouse um, and other people work. Get more education. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. Maybe you should come to Missio Seminary. <laughs> a, little, a little ad there. I have compassion for people who have been unemployed for a long period of time. Because I was unemployed for six years. Six years. From age 38 to age 44. Now that's not a time you want to be unemployed. I wasn't inactive. I was pursuing my Ph.D., but it was still very difficult. Shannon was working full-time. She's my, my Proverbs 31 woman. And often I was doing the kind of the stay-home dad thing. And in the midst of my, my doctoral program, in the summer of 2002, I received the bad news that my academic program was not going well. Oxford University seemed to want to, they wanted to kick me out, basically, I won't go into the details. And this was one of the low points of my life. And you know where I was headed to? I was headed to a college reunion. That's not the sort of thing you want to be going through in the midst of a college reunion. So, Dave, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm unemployed. I'm in school, but I don't think I'm going to finish, and I'm really discouraged. I want to quit my program. How are you? That was hard. Not what you want to say. I just wanted to be a sluggard. But you know what? I had friends around me who prayed for me and encouraged me to be an aunt. I persisted. I eventually got a degree. So I started applying. To, um, as I'm finishing up my degree, though, I was applying for jobs in the fall of, 20, of 2004. I applied to, for 25 jobs that year. Nothing happened. I even applied to my seminary, biblical back then. I applied to biblical seminary that year. They didn't hire me. They hired somebody else. It was depressing to apply for a lot of jobs and not get, and not get any kind of positive response. I just wanted to be a sluggard. But I had friends who prayed for me and encouraged me to be an aunt. So in 2005, I applied for 25 jobs again. And finally, I got a job offer from Biblical Seminary. But they only gave me a one-year contract. So the next year, I had to apply for a whole bunch of jobs again. And in January of, um, of 2007, Biblical told me they wanted me to come back permanently. So after seven years of unemployment, underemployment, and uncertain employment, I finally had a steady job. Thank you, Jesus. In the midst of discouragement, let's keep praying. And we can look to our Savior and Lord. Jesus napped, but he was no sluggard. In John 5, after he healed a man on the Sabbath, the Jews didn't like that he was working on the Sabbath. So they persecuted him. This is what John chapter 5, verse 17 says. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working now, and I am working this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. 
Not because, he, um, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. Jesus was equal to God, but he still napped. And God rested on the seventh day. But the fact that Jesus was working on the Sabbath prompted the Jews to seek to kill him. Jesus' work would eventually lead him to the cross where his efforts would redeem sages and sluggards and ants like all of us. Jesus worked so we didn't have to.